Origin of the Shadow, Part 2 Written by Cody McClurg Prologue Night befell the city of Kabul. The streets were quiet, and the Colosseum, which had previously housed the warlord and his psychotic son, stood firm, tinted blue by the moonlight. Heavily armed women in white turbans stood guard on the roof and perimeter, watching carefully for intruders. The night sky was riddled with stars, and a few small clouds drifted carelessly in the distance. The wind was soft and cold, barely making the trees sway. Suddenly, the silhouette of a man appeared, faster than lightning, hovering over the museum, silent as death. The silhouette dropped toward the large dome-shaped building below. An order was barked from its left, and bullets rained from all directions. The figure moved quickly through the ceiling of the building, phasing through like a ghost, not even disturbing the dust that sat peacefully on top. It disappeared as dozens of footsteps echoed through the halls in the Colosseum. Female soldiers flooded the dark room, beaming flashlights in every direction. They scanned the room until all flashlights converged on one figure in the center. A large, muscular man hovered just above the ground with his hands up. He wore a black suit with a cape and hood covering every inch of his body except for his eyes and a few strands of white hair which dangled by his left temple. His mouth and nose were covered by a black mask bearing intricate designs. What is your business here, assassin? said a woman in the back of the crowd. The armed guards parted ways as a tall black-haired Afghan woman walked to the center of the room. The man's brow furrowed as he studied her. I'm not an assassin. I'm not here for a fight, the man said in perfect Dari. You'll forgive my confusion, man. Your uniform says otherwise. This uniform has not been seen since the days of the originals. I'm aware. It's a replication of the shadow. Now what is your business here? Do not make me ask again. I'm here to see an old friend. Maybe you know her. She goes by the name Abrisham daughter of the lion. I am Abrisham, and who might you be? The man stretched out his arms, gracefully landing on the ground as the fabric in his uniform began to unweave and recede. The guards surrounding him readied their weapons, starting at his fingertips and shoes. The uniform reduced itself to pants with identical black fabric, leaving his chest bare. The man's white hair was collected in a ponytail that reached his lower back and his white beard nearly reached his pectorals. Raising his hands once more, he turned around, revealing the scar of a lion covering his entire back. The tall woman's eyes lit up. You're a miner from the Liberation. How did you survive when the others died out? The man took a deep breath, looking to the floor. I wondered why I couldn't sense them. Apal didn't make it? No. He lived for a year after the liberation. He survived the longest. The Mala died out within weeks. The ones who were left with the Americans died within months. She walked closer. Who are you? I'm Jackson Medley. You may not recognize or remember me, but he was cut off by Avisham running and hugging him tightly. The sudden movement made the guards surrounding them jump and three of them misfired their weapons directly at Jack and Abersham. Jack didn't move, 
but Abisham dropped to the floor, attempting to dodge the bullets. However, they never made contact. Jack raised a hand, holding the smashed remains of three fifty caliber bullets in his palm. Everyone looked around, confusedly, as Jack dropped the bullets to the floor. Abisham's mouth opened wide as she realized what had just happened. It only appeared as though Jack stood still. In reality, he moved more quickly than her eyes could perceive. In fact, no one in the room saw him move, yet he grabbed all three bullets out of the air with unbelievable precision. That kind of power would scare the wits out of any prestigious leader, no matter their rank. If that was an attempt to prove a point, mission accomplished. Abrisham gave the order, and the guards lowered their weapons. If this place isn't a mine anymore, then what is it? Jack asked. The question snapped Abisham back into composure. She straightened her posture and resumed her emotionless stare for which she was now known. A refuge. For the women battered and broken by their husbands and families. The mines proved to be the perfect living arrangements after we furnished them. I did notice that all your guards were women. Men are not allowed in here. It is a well-known fact that any man who steps foot on this territory will be shot and killed on sight. That is why we attacked you without warning. Jack nodded his head. I think a woman's shelter was a great idea, Bree. A slight smile christened her lips, accompanied by a blush in her cheeks as she heard her nickname. It's been five years since anyone has called me that. Can you give me a tour? I'd love to see how you've turned this place around. I'm sorry, but I cannot. Most of the women have been traumatized by men, and seeing one may trigger some unwanted reactions. I cannot risk compromising the safety of this refuge. This is as far as you may go. I understand. He began to float in the air once more, black fabric weaving around his torso as it covered the rest of his body. It was nice to see you, Bree. I'm glad to see you're doing well. Abisham raised her hand. Wait! Where have you been all this time? The last I saw you, you were being carried away by that robot. It's been five years, Jack. To tell my story would take more time than I have. Goodbye, Bree. A black hood materialized over his head, followed by his iconic mask, and he vanished as quickly and as silently as he appeared, leaving no trace or evidence that he was ever there in the first place. Goodbye, Jack. She whispered, and took a long, deep breath. Chapter 1 Another Day The sun blazed over the city of Kabul. It was a particularly hot day for all who attended the Grand Colosseum in the center of the city. The building itself was so large that the surrounding buildings looked like toy houses in comparison. Inside, Clanging and shouting could be heard as two men traded blows with iron swords. The harder they fought, the louder the crowd became. In a high spot, far above the general seating below, sat an elegantly dressed couple in a balcony, being fanned by servants in white. A man and woman occupied two of the four seats in the balcony. At first glance, one might suspect that they were husband and wife but the two of them were the most notorious brother and sister in Afghanistan. Mahal, son of the lion. Abisham, 
daughter of the lion. Unlike the other women in the Colosseum, Abisham was permitted to keep her face exposed, as anyone who dared dishonor the lion would surely pay with their life. However, an exposed face was no match for this blistering heat. There wasn't a cloud in the sky to block the powerful rays of sun. Abrishan waved over more servants, who began to fan them with large tree branches. Other servants approached holding a tightly woven net above them to create shade. Mahal didn't even notice. His eyes were glued to the match as if looking away for even a second would result in missing the most important part. The two men below clashed metal once more. Sparks flew left and right as they used their swords to both attack and defend. They had no shields. Finally, Maal sat back in his chair, which was more of a throne by the size of it. I can't stand this fight. You'd think the leaders of the mine would give more of an interesting battle, Maal said in his usually whiny voice. Perhaps if powers were allowed, said Abrisham as she flicked a bug off the armrest of her throne. They've already got swords. I thought there would be more bloodshed. Neither of them has so much as broken the other's skin. No, I tire of this. You're right, girl. Powers would make this much more interesting. Mahal raised his hand and the sound of trumpets filled the air, quieting the Colosseum as he stood. You like my great pets? The crowd cheered at this comment. How about we liven this fight? I know I said no powers, but boys, get to work. He narrowed his vision on the two men in the center of the clearing as the crowd erupted in cheers, anticipating the brutality that awaited them. The two men began circling each other. On one side stood a short man with toned muscles and scars that lined his upper body. His beard was scruffy and unkempt and his eyes were wild, like an animal freshly cornered. His opponent was nearly twice his size and weight, having equal amounts of fat and muscle. His scars were nearly as numerous as the smaller man, but less severe. His eyes were two different colors, one being light blue, and the other being gray. The only resemblance these two shared were their loincloths and their identical lion brands across their backs. When the order came down to begin using powers, they both wasted no time. The large man sucked in, causing the smaller man's hair to pull forward with the air, then stopped. All at once, he let loose, blasting a puff of air from his mouth that kicked up dust and caused the smaller man to soar into the wall behind him. The small man didn't fall to the ground, however. He stayed glued to the wall, as if gravity was pulling him sideways instead of down. On the wall, he stood straight, looking up at the hulking man instead of forward. Then he ran along the wall in a zigzag formation to build up speed and avoid his field of vision. The larger man sucked in another breath and let loose right as he was close enough. The smaller man jumped higher and farther than a normal man should be able to, just enough to dodge the second blast of wind. When he reached the side of the larger man, he dropped sideways, once more falling in the wrong direction. He grabbed the larger man's neck and pulled him toward the wall. As the two of them fell, the larger man slammed both his fists into the smaller man's chest, causing the wall to crack and ripple. The smaller man fell downward as he normally should, and the larger man bent over, panting, using his knees as support. 
Mere moments passed as they both caught their breath. The small man began to slide forward, toward the swords, compelled by gravity. He was caught by the ankles, and slammed into the wall by the large man once more. Simply falling in the wrong direction was no match for the brute strength of the larger man. The small man was repeatedly swung back and forth like a ragdoll, colliding with the wall and the floor in consecutive motions. After a moment, the wall caved in, exposing an empty hallway now lit by sunlight. The large man threw the smaller man into the center of the clearing, where he laid motionless. To the crowd's delight, the large man grabbed both swords and walked briskly over the other man's unconscious body, displaying his showmanship as he raised the twin swords above his head in victory. His multicolored eyes met Mahal's, who nodded his approval with anticipatory glee. Mahal nearly fell out of his seat with anticipation to what came next. Abisham could care less, and made that known by her facial expressions and constant yawning. She sat quietly with her arms and legs crossed, while her brother's raspy breathing became more erratic and his brow dripped with sweat, despite the now six servants' constant fanning. The large man gave a slight smirk, and his expression dropped as his eyes fell on this prey. This was the single moment that everyone in the arena had showed up to see. The bloodshed. The gore. Mercy was no construct in this arena, a point driven home by two swords that sunk cleanly and deeply into the unconscious man's chest, thus ending this particular fight. The large man's eyes were calloused and unfazed by the crimson liquid now oozing to his feet. This fight was child's play for him. Not a drop of blood or sweat stained his beard or hair. He stepped over the body with cool, even motions, as if nothing here was out of the ordinary. To the crowd, however, Christmas had come early. They were nearly berserk with delight. Spit and encouragement flew from every direction as Mahal's arm raised, followed by trumpets. Very good, Apal. Very good. You have pleased me, and may live another day. Double portions of food tonight for right mine only. You've earned it. Wasn't he wonderful? He said, fondly addressing the crowd. They all cheered in agreement, as the body in the center was carried off by sickly-looking slaves in loincloths. When I promise a fight, I deliver. It may take some time to bring another champion, but believe me, you will have another battle. With this, he raised his arm once again and walked through the doorway of the balcony into the inner room. Come, girl, new cattle awaits purchase, came a distant voice inside the room. With a deep breath, Abisham rose from her seat, watching as the crowd funneled through the exits of the Colosseum and studying the trail of blood that led to the mines below. With one last glance, she too left through the doorway into the inner room. Inside the room, the change in temperature was immediately apparent. Habersham took a deep breath, scanning the scene before her. Mahal stood in the center of the room, inspecting the nearly thirty young men chained together and kneeling in perfect rows, except for one. A larger man in the center of the rows had roughly six times the chains as the other men, and wore at least eight layers of blindfolds 
as if the first didn't do the trick. Oh, Don, it is good to see you. Have you seen my father today? He wasn't at my champion's fight. An older man stepped forward. His wrinkles and frown lines were nearly as distracting as his streaks of gray hair. He bowed and closed his eyes as he addressed Mahal. Great Prince, he said. I have seen your father. He is at the communication center. I believe he has some German visitors. Enough about him, Odon. What have you brought me? Odon smiled as he rose to his feet. You will be most pleased with my findings, great prince. When in the States I found an artifact that your father might like, it was simple to take. Americans in the States are more foolish than the stories say. When we received the artifact, this boy stumbled upon us. He pointed to the man in the center of the rose. He was quite powerful, nearly too much for me to handle. I've had to give him twelve times the dosage of, he patted a bag on his side, treatment as the others. He is quite a handful. Abisham noticed Mahal's expression slowly morph into that of a hungry beast that's caught its prey. How powerful do you think that he is? Would he beat a Paul in a fight? Mahal's hand was twitching as he looked ravenously upon the man in the center. Great Prince, at full strength, I would wager that your father would find it difficult to fight this man. This single comment made the jaws of everyone in the room drop, except for the prisoners, who probably couldn't even understand them anyway. Coming from Mahal, a statement like this wouldn't cause anyone to bat an eye, as his big mouth was nearly always spewing foolish statements. However, coming from Odon, an experienced and formidable assassin. This statement held more weight than gold. You're not serious. You can't be. No one on this earth can defeat the lion. Mahal's hands now shook so violently that his entire robe vibrated. I am serious. It was only by sheer luck that I was able to subdue him as I did. He would have ended my life if he were not so merciful. The mention of mercy made Abisham raise an eyebrow. She took a closer look at the prisoner, smoothly weaving in between the chained men. Beads of sweat ran down their arms and bare chests. Even kneeling, this man's head was above the rest. His brown hair was shorter than the others, and his strong jaw was covered with a thin beard. This wasn't a seasoned warrior as Odon suggested. This was merely a child. No older than Abishan by the looks of it. His face turned, as if he saw her standing there, and chills ran down her spine. She locked eyes with Mahal and quickly, yet gracefully, retreated to her spot behind him, resuming the uninterested expression she was so fond of. Incredible, Mahal said in a raspy whisper. Give them all to me. That one shall be mine. He pointed to the prisoner in the center, as Odon's confident expression faltered. You want them all? Are you deaf, Odon? I said all of them. Mahal's hands became fists. Great Prince, I don't know if I can sell them all to you. 
I have many more customers in the city. Before Odon finished his sentence, Mahal snapped, grabbing a servant by the neck. The color faded from the servant's skin, and his pale white body slumped downward. Need I repeat myself, he said, tossing the corpse aside as his eyes became bloodshot while his muscles bulged beneath his robe. One step forward caused a slight tremor in the room. Abishan backed away from her brother, locking eyes with the female servants in the room. Upon her silent orders, they fled the room, leaving only her and the men. Odon looked unfazed by Mahal's state, unfazed by the life that was taken instantaneously by Mahal's death touch. Good prince, Odon started, dropping to one knee in a submissive pose. You know I am faithful to you and to your father. I only wish to please all of my clients. If you desire my entire stock, you may have my entire stock. It is yours for a price, and I will be truthful. The price will be steep. Mahal continued to approach Odon when Abisham stepped forward. Brother, she said in a calm tone, a show of self-control would be most gracious. He stopped in his tracks, straightening his posture, as if he had forgotten she was there. What did you say to me, girl? He said, his bloodshot eyes fixating on Abisham. She took a deep breath and stood her ground, clasping her hands tightly behind her back. Mahal, it would be unwise to kill father's favorite assassin. I believe you must... Yet she was cut off by another corpse soaring in her direction. She dropped to the ground as the body whizzed past her and crashed into the wall. Suddenly, she felt very fortunate that his death touch simply amplified Mahal's strength, and not his speed as it did for her father. Keeping a close watch on Mahal, she crawled to her feet as her heart raced and her breathing intensified. Mahal stood in front of Odon, who still kneeled before him, Grabbing him by the neck, he pulled him upward. In a low, dangerous tone, he addressed the assassin. Do not ever question my word, worm. I will end you myself. I do not need my father's permission. I will not hesitate. Despite Mahal's intensity, Odon maintained his composure. He had no problem bowing his head despite the hand gripping his neck tightly. Mahal dropped to Odon, who coughed twice before standing to his feet. You are most merciful, great prince. You have spared my life today. You may have my stock. It is yours. Now let's talk about price. My father will take care of it. Do not concern yourself with such things. How soon can that one battle? Mahal gestured to the big slave in the middle. Odon cleared his throat again, rubbing his neck. Days at the very least. He has been greatly weakened by sedation. It should work itself out soon. However, I must warn you. You must take caution with this one. As I said before, at full strength, I was not able to stop him of my own power. Maybe because you're old and weak. I'll take my chances. I will see him fight. Mahal took a deep breath as the blood vessels receded from his eyes and his muscles shrank down to their original size. 
There is nothing more I require from you, Odon. Out of my sight, Mahal said in a cold tone. He turned and signaled for Abishan to leave too, which was an order she was all too eager to obey. And so, the day continued. 